All right, we're going to continue our study, of course, in the, on the topic of the second coming of Christ. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. We will pray, and then we will continue reading in verse, we'll start in verse number 8 of Matthew, chapter 24. All right, Matthew 24, and starting in verse 8, let's pray together, and then we, we will read. Our Lord in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given to us uh, to study your word together, but thank you, Lord, that we have a word to study. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your, uh, your revelation to us, Lord. We acknowledge that we don't understand everything that's in the Bible, but we thank you for the wisdom and, and understanding and grace that you've given to us and the things that we do understand. Help us, Lord, to live by what we do understand. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd bless the Sunday school class, not only here, uh, with your grace and power and wisdom and your Spirit's help, but also, Lord, would you bless uh, Miss Pam and uh, Miss McLean and uh, Brother Mark and Miss Judy, uh, as they teach as well, would you please give them the words to say and, uh, and give them uh, students that are attentive to hear. Lord, we, we need your help as we study your word. We acknowledge that we can't, we can't rightly understand your word except that you help us, and we have the Spirit of God in us to help us and to teach us and instruct us. So, Lord, bless each and every student here. Help each one to grow and to prosper and to walk with you. And we will give you thanks for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew 24, let's start in verse, verse number 8. Verse number 8, the Bible says, uh, of course, talking about the uh, general conditions, we won't spend a lot of time there. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And then in verse 9, we get into the section we studied uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is the, uh, the uh, feature of the tribulation in which there is an exceptional period of persecution, and we'll see a little bit uh, hints of that uh, in our study today. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another, and many false prophets and shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. All right, so just a few comments on this before we get down to verse number 15 that uh, verse, number, verse number 13, I've said before, verse number 13 is probably among the most abused verses in all of the Bible. And it all comes from, it usually comes from, and I'll read it again, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now here's the way this generally works, okay? Now, as we've started this study, I've tried to emphasize to you that Every, time, every verse that we read in the Bible is, of course, God's Word, 
But every verse that we read in the Bible is not necessarily written to you and to me as a New Testament Christian. For instance, you read in the Old Testament, there are many, many commands in the Old Testament that are written to the Jews, not to Gentile Christians in the New Testament period. And so we have to, we can take principles from those those things while understanding at the same time that those things were not written to us. They were written to other people that are put in the Word of God for our learning. Okay, that's, that's, that's principle number one. And that's true the, uh, the Scripture over. If you read it, for, but on the other hand, if you read it in the book of Ephesians, because the book of Ephesians is written specifically to us as a New Testament Christian, everything in the book of Ephesians is in every way, both in principle and in word, is directly to us specifically. Okay, and that, that's clear enough. Uh, I think that's, that's fairly obvious. So as we read this, here's the danger. We look at verse 13 and we say, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So here's where the fault comes. The fault comes is we read this verse and commentators have read this verse and uh, people in the past, especially in the past, have read this verse and have said, they've read the verse with the understanding that this is talking about me. Okay, this is talking about me. Whether it's in 1650 or whether it's in 1230 or whether it's in 1992 or whether it's in 2022, people read this verse that Jesus spoke as they say, well, Jesus said it, uh, so how does this fit into my theological persuasion? And so what people say is, they read the verse, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And what they do is they take their fishing, their, their uh, rod and reel, and they reach down to grab the verse number 13 and they pluck it right out of the chapter and they say, see, if someone believes in Christ and follows all the commandments and believes in Christ until the end, which they define as death, then they will go to heaven. The problem with that is the context. (laughs) The problem with that is the context. This verse is not a generally applicable, applicable verse. And in fact, a lot of people that, that, are, that have a Calvinistic persuasion love to use this verse. It's, it deals with perseverance of the saints. Uh, we won't talk about that, but the problem with that is this verse occurs in a chapter with very, very speci- a very specific context, which is the coming of the Lord. Specifically, the, the period of the tribulation, which we're going to talk about today. So here's the thing. I don't want to discuss this right now because we could spend a whole lesson just on this verse. But suffice it to say this, whatever this verse means, its primary application is to this period of time in which the Lord is speaking. You can't just pluck it out and use it willy-nilly however you want and then force it into some theological idea that you have. Jehovah's Witnesses do this with this verse. Mormons do this with this verse. Uh, And... Christian denominations, people in Christian denominations. Baptists do this with this verse. Don't do that. We can't do that. Read the context, right? Read the context. And that will, that will help us. So this verse is not teaching us that if we believe in Christ and we obey God's commandments all the way until we die, faithfully until we die, then we'll get eternal life and go to heaven. That is not what this verse is teaching. Absolutely not. And there are clear New Testament teachings that tell us that we have eternal life 
those that believe in Christ, have eternal life now. We're not waiting to be saved. We are saved. Brother Vernon, you are saved now. You're not waiting to be saved if you hold on until the end. No, no, that's not, that's not, that's not scriptural. And the thing is, in the context, maybe we'll study it later, but, but in the context, that, that it's irrelevant. So uh, <clears throat> let's keep going. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. This is spoken, of course, in reference to the tribulation, which we're going to talk about today again. But here's the thing we need to remember about the tribulation. The tribulation is a time of great deception. We talked about that, a period of great persecution. It's a period of great turmoil and trouble. How many of you remember the, I think it was 2004, tsunami as a result of an earthquake that hit Japan and uh, Indonesia and India. Actually, I think the one with Japan was different. Indonesia, it was in, because it was in the, like the equatorial part of the Pacific. I mean, that was, a, that was a huge, I mean, that's like tens of thousands of people, up to like hundreds of thousands of people just wiped, wiped away. And that was a, ma- I remember that was a major deal. That was a major thing. Imagine that times infinity. These are times of great, great trouble that are described in, the, in, this, in this passage. But even though there are time, this is a time of great trouble spiritually in regards to sin, in regards to judgment, the events that are seen with the eyes, heard with the ears, even though that's the case, what you still have is you still have God getting his word to people. And you still have people responding to his word. You still have people preaching the truth and responding to the truth. And still you have people giving their lives for the truth. God, God is, is, I mean, think about this verse. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. I personally do not believe this verse is teaching that the gospel missions and all that uh, is, is an indicator for when the Lord's going to come back. Once we get missionaries, this is how this verse is often used. Once we get missionaries into every part of the world, then Jesus will come. Well, there, that's problematic, and we'll study that later. But I, I know I have personal friends that say that kind of thing. And they'll go, to, they'll go to different places in Mark, and they say that. Once the gospel gets to everyone, so we can actually, they say, hasten the coming of Christ. If we just get more people, uh, more missionaries out there, more people with the gospel into more places, then Jesus will come because the gospel must first be preached in all nations. I don't think that's what this is referring to because of the period in which it is spoken. But what we do see, though, is during that period, no matter the turmoil, God is still working to get his witness out just like in our time. He's still working to get his witness out. <clears throat> and then we get to verse number 15. So let's look at that. When, that's the key word here, when. This is a time marker. Okay, I told you last week we talked about the, the, the figure, we call him the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 calls him the Anybody remember? It's a particular word. The son of perdition, that's correct. There's another. The wicked 
This is a figure, a person, okay? We, we studied him. We looked in Revelation. So there's this demonic, this satanic figure who, uh, who is a, a major figure in the end times. But he's actually not mentioned here. But we have to understand, in order to understand the time of, that is spoken of here, because it says, verse 15, when ye see, when ye see. That's a time marker, Okay. In order to understand that, you have to understand a little bit about the, this man of sin, the son of perdition, the wicked, the antichrist, the beast, however you want to refer to him, because he's referred to in, in a lot of different ways. So this is a time marker. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then, that's another, word, another time marker, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of, out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on, neither on the Sabbath day. Now that seems like a kind of an out of place thing, right? So, there's a time marker, this abomination of desolation. This is an event, okay? This is a future event. That when it happens, to those reading this, when this happens, it is a trigger to do something. And that something is a reference. This is, this is very unusual to, to my thinking anyway. It's a trigger to tell, to tell these people to flee. In other words, if you're on top of the house and you think, you know, as an American, we think, well, on top of the house, I mean, who stays up there? But you got to understand, in a lot of places in the world, the house is flat, and people hang out up there, right? And so he says, if you go up to the top of the house, don't even come down to get your stuff. Leave now, right? So there's this, this, it's a trigger, a time trigger to tell the people to flee, but it's not just anybody. This is talking about a very small subset of humanity. Who? Say again? No, not Christians. Jews. Jews. See, they which be in Judea. Now, they might be Christians, obviously, because they're reading the words of Christ. So I'll give you, I'll give you that one. But they're specifically these people in Judea. You think of all the terrible things that we know happen in the tribulation, all the judgments that, that are the wor- happen the world over, and here God's talking about one tiny little place on earth. You know Why? That's the way God's prophetic calendar has always worked. It operates on the basis of Israel. That's, that's not unusual. That's actually, that's actually, it corresponds to the way God refers to things. So he tells these people, when you see this event in Jerusalem that Daniel talked about, when you see it happen, run. Okay, and of course, that's, talk, that's spoken of in Revelation, but we won't talk about that today. Verse 21, now we're talking, so you have this trigger, time trigger, they flee, and then verse 21, God tells us what this triggers. For then, again a time word, shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now, what is this time of tribulation, which means trouble, okay? What is this time of tribulation? So the Lord says, we talked about the three periods. 
We have the beginning of sorrows. Then we have tribulation. And this, this event that happens in Jerusalem, spoken of by Daniel, is the trigger for what, God, what, what the Lord refers to as great tribulation. All right? Great tribulation. Great trouble. And it's so great that it exceeds any kind of trouble that has happened on the earth up to that point. So nothing has happened that is as troubling and as, and as uh, terrible as what we read in, in this passage. Verse 22, And except those days should be shortened, there should, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So here's the thing. In summary, basically this means that there are, go- there are going to be, and we read about it in, tr- in the book of Revelation, there are going to be such terrible things happen upon the earth. So many people will die. So many people will die that if the Lord let it persist and did not return, the earth would be just completely depopulated. No flesh should be saved. Now, you think about one of the worst things that's ever happened in the history of humanity that we know of. I mean, you've got the global flood, but then in modern times you have the bubonic plague, right? Killed about a third of Europe. It's way worse than that. Now, why, why do I say all that? Because what I'm trying to get you to see is this marker. When this event happens, now, let me say this. I'm not telling you to watch for this event. All right? I'm not telling you to watch for this event. I actually struggle a good bit when, I, when I'm studying for this because I want to bring out to the, to, to, in our Sunday school, I want to bring out practical things to you guys to help you. But sometimes some of this stuff is dry. It's just information. So I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make sure that I, I, I strike that balance. But So I'm not telling you now, everyone, now you watch for the mark of the beast and make sure that you don't get a buy low bonus card because that might be the mark of the beast. And you better watch out for microchips and, you know, even, you know, these, these terrible things, these little things right here. I want those, you know. Listen, I don't know anything about all that, but what I'm not telling you to do is watch out for this event. But what I am saying is, This event called the abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel that the Lord mentions is the time marker in which this period of great tribulation happens. Here's why that's important. Because this event, from this event, you can start to calculate things, times, and that helps us. Okay? So let's look at Daniel chapter 9. And let's look at this event and the, because the Lord only mentions it, he expects us to do the homework and look at Daniel to find out what it's, what it's talking about, right? Daniel chapter 9 is where this is first mentioned. And verse number, verse number 20, okay? <clears throat> now, remember, Daniel was a captive in Babylon. All right, Daniel, so Daniel lived in, Daniel lived in the, the time, the, the period of the captivity. So this is a roughly 500 years before Jesus was born. 
right, in which Daniel wrote. So Daniel was praying and confessing the sin of his people, and God sent Gabriel, verse 21, to him. And uh, verse 22 says, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understanding, therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So God gave Daniel this vision to help him understand. Okay? Now, I'm going to say at the outset before we read this, I do not have all the answers as to what every single word in this passage and the other passage of Daniel mean. However, I think there are some clear things that I want to look at. Verse 24, this is the vision. This is what God said on Daniel. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There are six things listed there. And what God says is God determined that in 70 weeks, those six things would be completed. Okay? That's five. Boom. Now we have six. I'm counting with only five. These six things would be accomplished. Now, in the next verse is mentioned, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince. Who's that? Say again. It's Jesus. Okay, we're clear on that. Shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Okay, so God says, I'm, give, I'm setting a time. I'm determining 70 weeks. Now, we know that we know when Daniel lived. And we know when the Lord came, was incarnated, all right? And we know that's about 500 years. That's plain from history. And biblical history, secular history, that's plain. So these 70 weeks, you you look at those six things that that God says are going to be accomplished in those 70 weeks. What is clear is the Lord is not referring to seven days. He's not referring to seven days because we know the Lord did not come within 70 weeks in days of, of the time this was spoken. 70 weeks of days would be 490 weeks, which is several years. Okay, just say several years. It's like nine years or something like that. Okay? Jesus did not come within nine years of this prophecy, which is what it says, right? So we know this is, uh, this is talking, these weeks here, which is, seven days, is talking about something beyond that, all right? That's obvious. Now, someone, can someone get me, let's see, who I want to do it? Who I want to do it? David, can you get me a verse? Get me, let me find it, Numbers 14.33. Numbers 14.33. All right, read 33 and 34. Numbers 14, 33 and 34. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whore 
All right, this is an example in the Bible. Now, let me ask you, how many days did the spies spy out the land of Canaan in the time of Joshua? Or time of, this is actually the time of Moses. 40 days. And God punishes them when the spies come back. Ten were bad, two were good. Y'all know that song, right? So God punished Israel by, by, by having them wander in the wilderness 40 years. Why? God says in that verse, right? He says, every day that they were spying the land counts for one year of, of uh, the wandering. So one day is one year. That's God's reckoning. So what I'm saying is, it is not unusual. That's an example in the scripture of God using this kind of counting. So when God says 70 weeks, and it's obvious that he's not referring to actual days, that leads us, especially considering the other reckoning, to think, all right, what is he talking about? He's obviously talking about a period of time. And what he's referring to, I posit, is years. So a week is seven days, so that's seven years. And there are 70 of those, that's, that's seven. 70 times seven is 490. But notice that in, back in Daniel, in verse number 25, that this, these, uh, these, these 70 weeks are divided into three groups. Verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Who did that originally? All right, remember, remember where Daniel is. Daniel's in captivity in Babylon and then in Persia, okay? Because he lived through the transition. Who gave the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem? Cyrus. He's actually named in the book of Isaiah, right? Cyrus gave that commandment. So that is a firm, I mean, that's, that's like, I know there are many events in the Bible that are questioned by scholars. That's not one of them, right? Everyone acknowledges that Cyrus gave a command for the Jews to leave Babylon and Persia and return to build Jerusalem. Pastor Stewart's been teaching on that in the book of Ezra and then also Nehemiah, all right? That's a firm marker. Now notice what he says. So counting from there, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. That's seven and 62. So seven weeks is 49 years. 62 weeks is 434 years. But notice it's divided in two. I don't know the exact reason, but here's my idea why it's seven and 62, which equals 69. 492. 493, I'm sorry. Why is it divided in two? My personal, my, my personal guess on that is why it says 7 and 62 and divides those 69, year, 69 weeks into two groups is because the, the first set, seven weeks of years, refers to roughly the time from the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah until the time that that, that, was, that was the period of Ezra and Nehemiah. Roughly. And then from uh, the 62 weeks, 434 years, refers to the time after Ezra and Nehemiah, this is my personal belief, to what we would call the silent years until Jesus came. All right? Here's the bottom line. You add seven weeks and 62 weeks, you get 69 weeks. Where's the last week? Because what the Scripture says in verse 25 is unto Messiah the Prince. So you have 69 weeks, and that's the marker where Jesus comes. 
And it says, interestingly, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times, which is, which is referring, obviously referring to Nehemiah, the wall being built. All right? Verse number 26, and after three score and two weeks, so that's the 62, so you have seven, 62, that's 69. And the Lord says, after that 62 weeks set, look at what it says, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, which is obviously a reference to death. That's a clear reference to death in Scripture. Of course, we know Jesus died. But there's still the problem with the 70th week. Now look back up at verse number 24 again. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That's a, there's a lot in there in this 70 weeks. That's a lot. But what it is inclusive of is everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Make an end of sins. It is not possible to make an end of sins and reconciliation for iniquity without the cross, right? So that, that's, Jesus is in there for sure. But it also talks about bringing in everlasting righteousness, anointing the most holy. That, those are words re- relating to a kingdom. And those things, of course, have not happened yet. Okay. But keep reading. So we're still missing this 70th week in which, after which all of these six things in verse 24 will be finished. He says, the middle of verse 26, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he, that's the prince mentioned in the previous verse, shall confirm the covenant with many for one, what does that say? One what? Week. Well, there's our missing week in the context. And in the midst of the week, what does midst mean? Say again. The middle. All right, what is the middle of a week? A week is seven days, so the middle of a week is 3.5, depending on how many significant digits you use. It's three and a half. How many months are in three and a half years? Everybody's like, it's 42. How many days are in three and a half years? if you have a 360-day calendar, which the Jews did, it's 1,260. Now, why is this important? Because this last week of this prophecy deals directly with the prince that shall come, the Antichrist. It is a reference to a period of a covenant that he establishes and then breaks in the midst, in the middle. Okay? This is not the sole reference to this event in history. This is what the Lord was referring to. Keep reading. Confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. 
even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Desolate. Anybody want to take a stab at what that word means? What does the word desolate mean? Desolate. <sighs> Leave it to an Aguilar. Correct. Oh, he said, okay. It means empty. Correct. It means empty. So this event, the Lord's reference to this abomination of desolation, here's what this event is, according to what we've read so far. This prince goes into the temple and causes the sacrifice in the temple to stop. All right? That's what he does. The Lord says when that happens, in Matthew 24, when that happens, run. Because that's when great tribulation is about to happen. All right? You see the marker? This is the final week. This is where we get the idea of a seven-year tribulation. This is the final week of Daniel's prophecy, the, sixth, the 70th week. And in the middle of that last week, at the three, around the three-and-a-half-year mark, is when this event happens. And, and we know, three-and-a-half years, we know that three-and-a-half years from that, during that period is the great when God pours out judgment upon the, upon the earth. Okay? This is where we get all that. All right, let's look at Daniel chapter number 11. Of course, I don't have time to read the entire chapter because it covers a lot of ground, a lot of historical things about kings and battles and such. Verse 30 says this, For the ships of uh, Chittim shall come against him. Of course, that begs the question, who is him? And if you read up, high, uh, up above that, um, like verse 24, he shall enter peaceably even into the fattest places of the province. Um. Verse 28, then shall he return into his land with great riches and his heart shall be against the holy covenant and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and shall come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former as the latter. Talks about the ships. Therefore, verse 30, shall he, shall he be grieved. Shall, therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. Notice the mention of covenant twice because the 70th week deals with the covenant. So shall he do, he shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant and arms shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, that's the temple, and shall take away the daily sacrifice they sh and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Okay, so this event is the same event mentioned in, in Daniel 9. The same person who's doing it, he's going into the temple causing the sacrifice to stop, which is the marker. Notice the other things that are mentioned in this passage that we've already studied. <clears throat> Verse 32, 
And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Is that not what we've already studied, right? The gospel going forth. In other words, we've already discussed that there will be witnesses during this time. It says here, they will instruct many. Those that know their God and have understanding will instruct many. And they shall fall, these are the same ones that are preaching, by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. Persecution, right? That's what we've already studied. Now, how, now Brother Adam, how do, I know, how do we know this is talking about the same time? Because the abomination of desolation, the, that event, is mentioned in verse 31. That's how we know. And Jesus connected the abomination of desolation with his coming, okay? That's how we know that this is future. Verse 34, Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. Well, I could imagine that being true. I mean, we live in that, oh, Christianity is wonderful. We love diversity, blah, 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 blah. And they're the ones providing for the persecution. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end. Again, time of the end, Matthew 24 refers to that. What does the time of the end refer to in Matthew 24? Come on, come on. It refers to the coming of Christ, right? Because it is yet for a time appointed. Now notice what this man does who is the instigator of this event. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. You know what that is? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He proclaims himself to be God. This is why I wanted to study the Antichrist before we got here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 describes the Antichrist doing this very thing. Verse 41. Actually, Let's just stop there and go to chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 8. This is the end of Daniel's prophecy. Look at what it says. And I heard, but I understood not. And then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? That's a good question. It's kind of like the question the disciples asked when Jesus talked about the destruction of the temple. When shall these things be? Daniel says, what will be the end of it? When will be the end of these things? And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. It's interesting he says that. Remember last week I mentioned that there are some things written in the Bible that we will not understand because they're not written for us to understand, but are written for the people that will need those things at that time. Just like things that we understand clearly 
we were, mis- were mysteries to people that were in the Old Testament. That's what th- this verse is saying. Verse 10, notice what it says. At the time of the end, it says, Many shall be purified and made white and tried. That's the persecution. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. In verse 11, notice these time words. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. So again, Jesus said that's, a, that's an event, the abomination of desolation. The sacrifice is stopped. The Antichrist is the one who does it, and he sets himself up as God. We read that in Daniel 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That is the abomination of desolation, and that is the mark at which great tribulation begins. But notice the days. From that time, you count 1,290 days, which is about how much time? It's, It's about three and a half years, which is half of seven. Okay? This is where we get this. Verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and five and thirty days, thirteen thirty-five. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. So you got twelve hundred and sixty, you've got twelve uh twelve hundred and ninety, you've got thirteen thirty-five, you've got uh three and a half because of that midst of the week. Now what this is doing is the Lord is describing. He's describing this period, basically the, the, the period of the tribulation is measured from that event, okay? And we know that event happens in the middle of a, a, one, one, a seven-year period because it, that covenant is broken. And we know from that event, different numbers of days and months are given, 1260, 1290, 1335, until the end. Now, I'm not saying I know when Jesus is coming back, the the second coming of Christ happens, but that event is a marker, is a marker. Now, why am I telling you all this? And we're going to, next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at some other verses that use these markers to kind of get more information. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. But what I want you to, what I want to emphasize today is that this period of the tribulation, we call it the seven-year tribulation, is not something that theologians pulled out of a hat. It is actually in the Scripture. And there are clear um, markers of the beginning and the end of that period. And none of this has happened yet. None of this has happened yet. And this seven-year period of of tribulation is essential. We have to understand, if we're going to understand where we fit in in this plan, we have to understand the tribulation and the events that are happening in it and when they are happening so that we can understand where we fit in in this, in God's plan. 
because we have a we we have a uh, God, we're mentioned we're mentioned, but we just have to lay the groundwork before we can get to that. All right, we'll end there today. <laughs>